Morning, church. How's everybody doing today? I've been asked to tell you that if you're visiting with us, um, you are certainly our honored guest, and we have a gift for you out at the welcome booth um, in the foyer. So if you need a drink of water, don't go now. You need to pinch your child. Um, we are glad that you're here, and we do have uh, gifts. Those are first come, first serve. Now that I said that, everybody got thirsty. So, welcome to the Pine Tree Church of Christ, especially to our guests. If if you're a first time visitor, welcome. If you haven't been here in a while, welcome. If you came here today looking for a life changing experience, welcome. I hope that you get one today. Today is Easter Sunday. Today, Christians celebrate Easter because of not just a person, not just teachings, but because of an event that happened over 2,000 years ago. And just so you know, we are a church that believes that Jesus really did rise from the dead. We believe that Jesus in his physical body came up out of that tomb, out of, out of that grave. He rose from the dead. We believe that because the Bible says that. We believe that because there were witnesses who said, we saw him after he died. And so we are the kind of church that believes that Jesus is risen, that he is alive. And so we celebrate Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. What better day to become a Christ follower? You'll always remember, if you've never become a Christ follower, if you've never made a commitment to Jesus, what better day than to remember, I did that on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday. And just so you know, in case you don't know us, if you're not familiar with us, here's what's going to happen at the end of the sermon. We're going to have an invitation. We're going to offer an invitation. It's not our invitation. It's not an invitation for you to join our church, it's the invitation of Jesus Christ for you to become a Christ follower. We're going to do that at the end of the sermon, but that's at the end of the sermon. Um, when the sermon is over, as for now, it, it ain't over. In fact, that's the title of my sermon today, It Ain't Over. And just so you know, I know I'm using the word ain't. It ain't over. We love stories about situations in life or people in life where it looks like it's over, but it ain't over. We get excited about those stories. We get goosebumps when we hear those stories or watch those stories. We tear up when we watch those stories. Somehow people find a way to come back. Somehow people find a strength to come back. Somehow people find a will to come back. Somehow people find a power to come back. It ain't over. So let me share numerous stories with you today to illustrate that it ain't over. We'll begin with some of my favorites, obviously some sports stories. It was voted the greatest moment in L.A. sports history in a 1995 poll. It's the 1988 World Series, and the Los Angeles Dodgers are not expected to win. They are the underdogs, and game one is not looking good. They're down 4-3 in the bottom of the ninth. Their best hitter, perhaps their greatest player, Kirk Gibson, is not even in the dugout. He's in the clubhouse because he was injured in the championship 
game, the championship league game. He's got injuries to both legs. He's not expected to play. Pitching for the Oakland Athletics is Dennis Eckersley, perhaps the greatest closer of his time. For some reason, for some reason, Tommy Lasorda gets on the phone and he calls Kirk Gibson, of all people, who's injured, he's not expected to play, he can't play. Tommy says, I want you to go in and pinch hit. Down four to three, bottom of the ninth, two outs, and Gibson gets down in an 0-2 count. For all practical purposes, it's over. Gibson goes on to hit a walk-off, two-run home run, and the Dodgers win. They go on to win the World Series four four games to one. Maybe you remember his fist pump as he's running around those bases. It just gives you goosebumps when the sportscasters still talk about that. It was his only plate appearance that entire series. Down 4-3, the bottom of the ninth, two outs, and he's got an 0-2 count. It was over. It was over. But it wasn't really over. It's the 1972 NFL playoffs. The Dallas Cowboys are down 28-13 to in the fourth quarter. And, in, and for all practical purposes, it was over. And Coach Tom Landry, for some reason, pulls quarterback Craig Morton out of the game and he puts in some guy that we've never heard of by the name of Roger Staubach, who was known as the comeback kid. And the boys rattled off 17 unanswered points and came back to win 30-28. to But it was over. 1986 Masters Golf Tournament, one of the major golf tournaments. Jack Nicklaus is playing at the age of 46. He hasn't won a major tournament in six years. He's 46, known as the Golden Bear. For all practical purposes, he was the Olden Bear. And somehow he was able to hang with the young kids. And yet with nine holes to go, he's down by five shots. To make up five shots in 18 holes, maybe. To make up five shots in nine holes, it's over. Nicholas, with one of his boys on the bag caddying for him, proceeds to shoot a 30 on the back nine. He birdies 10 and 11, another at 13, an eagle at 15, back-to-back birdies at 16 and 17, 46 years old. It's over for Jack Nicholas, but it wasn't over. What about Frank Reich? Maybe you've never heard of Frank Reich. He's only led two of the greatest comebacks in football history. When he was at Maryland, he was a backup quarterback. They were down 31 to zero. They bring in Frank Reich, and he comes back and leads them to a victory, 42 to 40. They were down 31 to zero. And then for the Buffalo Bills, he comes off the bench to replace quarterback Jim Kelly, who's injured. And the Bills are down 35-3 to to the Houston Oilers. It's over. And yet Frank Reich, maybe the only reason we rem- remember him is those two great comebacks. He proceeds to bring them to an overtime victory, 41-38. to Over? It ain't over. What about Reggie Miller and the Indiana Pacers playing the New York Knicks in game one of the NBA Eastern Conference? It's 1995. Miller scores eight points in 8.9 seconds to bring them back to a victory. For all practical purposes, it was over. But it ain't over. 
What about November 1984, regarded as one of the most memorable events in sports history? Doug Flutie and the Boston College Eagles are down 45-41 to to the Miami Hurricanes. We've got time for one play. We're all the way on our end of the field. Flutie calls them into the huddle and calls 55 flood tip. Where all the receivers run down, he's just going to throw a Hail Mary, as they call it. And if you have the ball coming, you tip it to another receiver. He calls the play. They hike the ball. He scrambles around. He throws the ball maybe 63 yards in the air against a 30-mile-an-hour wind. It's over. And somehow it goes all the way over the defenders into his roommates' hands, and they win. Who can forget the 1996 Olympics with the women's gymnastics and Carrie Strug going into the final rotation? The U.S. women held a commanding lead over the Russian team. The only way they could lose the gold was to collapse, and they collapsed. It was over. The first four U.S. gymnasts landed their vaults but struggled to land them cleanly, taking steps and hops. They didn't get good scores. The Russians are closing in. Her teammate, Dominique Mochianu, fell twice, registering a poor score. Strug gets up on her last fault, and she under-rotated the landing, and she fails, and she damages her ankle. It's over. The Russians are going to win. Strug was injured. There's no way she could go. There's no way that she could perform her second vault. And yet her coach, Bella Caroli, came to her and said, Carrie, we need you one more time. We need you one more time for the gold. You have to go. We need you. She hobbles up to the end and she limps along and she gets on that runway for her second attempt and she lands the vault briefly on both feet. And then she takes a hop, and on her good foot, she turns and salutes the judges, and the Americans win the gold medal. And her coach carries her to the gold medal stand as our tears are flowing because it was over. There was no way. Immediately after, she goes to the hospital and is treated for third-degree lateral sprain and tendon damage. It was over. We love stories where it looks like it's over, and then they come back. Great moments in sports history. We love those stories, but it's not just sports history. Great comebacks don't just happen in sports. You remember some guy named Abraham Lincoln? You read his story. He failed in business. He had a nervous breakdown. He was defeated in eight elections. It was over. It wasn't over. He became the president. What about Helen Keller? She lost her sight and hearing at 19 months. 19 months old. Her life's over. And yet she learned to speak and spent much of her life giving speeches and lectures. She learned to hear other people's speeches by touching their lips. She became proficient at using Braille and reading sign language with her hands. She wrote and published 12 books. Her life was over at 19 months. Millions of stories about people famous and infamous. Steve Jobs, Walt Disney, Albert Einstein, Susan Boyle, people you know about, people you don't know about. Their lives seemed over, their careers seemed over, their health seemed over, their finances were depleted, and then somehow, somehow, 
It wasn't over. But it's not just people in sports, and it's not just famous people. It's not just the people you might never know. It's, it's the story of the Bible. It ain't over. Consider some of these illustrations. You remember a guy named Noah. He came along in the Bible early on, a time where the Bible says every inclination of the thoughts of, of the heart of men was only evil all the time, and the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. And the Lord said, I'm going to flood the earth. And he did. It's over for all practical purposes. How about a guy named Abram? God called Abram and said, I'm going to make you a great nation and I'm going to give you a great blessing and I'm going to give you a great land. And he changed his name from Abram to Abraham and and said, I'm going to give you a child. But he was way old. His life was over and his wife was way old and her life was over. But God gave them a son. Isaac and God came to Abram when Isaac was a little bit older and said, I want you to take Isaac and I want you to build an altar and put him on the altar and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice and kill him. Are you kidding me? It's over. That's exactly what Abraham did. He loaded up the donkeys and he loaded up his son and he built the altar and he arranged the wood and he took out that knife and was prepared to slay his son. It's over story of the Bible. It's over. What about a guy named Joseph? You know, Joseph was so loved by his 11 brothers that they threw him down in a hole. They told dad he's dead. They sold him into slavery. He's accused by a woman of sleeping with her. He's thrown in jail again. Every time, every turn in the life of Joseph, you turn and look, you think his life's over. It's over. It's over. It's over. Time and time again. And what about Moses? There's this guy named Moses. I love this time of year because all the great shows that are on TV. Ben-Hur was on this morning. Have you ever seen Ben-Hur? I mean, Charlton Heston was meant to make Bible movies. Did you watch Ben-Hur? I'm glad that you didn't watch the whole thing or you would have been late. And the Ten Commandments was on last night. A guy named Moses and God says, I want you to lead my people out of bondage, out of slavery. And he does. He leads three to five million people right up to the Red Sea. And all they see in front of them is this great water, body of water. And they turn around and all they see behind them is Pharaoh and his chariots and his horses. It was over. They had nowhere to go. It was over. What about a guy named Samson? You remember Samson? He was one strong dude in the Bible. God gave him an incredible amount of strength. He was so strong, Scripture says he tore a lion apart with his bare hands. He was strong, but his inner strength left him when Delilah tricked him, and the strength of the Lord came out of him, and they seized him, and they gouged out his eyes. They put him in shackles. His life was over till you keep reading. <clears throat> remember, remember some guy named David? David and Goliath. David comes to bring his brother some food, and he notices this nine-foot massive giant who comes out every day and says, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Forty days in a row, <clears throat> they would line up on this side, and the Philistines would line up on this side. Twice a day, 80 times, he would come out and say, Why do you line up for battle? It's over. And Scripture says the Israelites ran every time, 80 times. It was over. Then David shows up. Teenage David. 
and said, who is this guy? I'll fight him. And if you thought it was over before, we're going to send a teenage guy out to fight this giant. It's over. The story of the Bible. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were thrown into a, a blazing furnace. It was so hot, it, it burned up the soldiers around them. It was over. Remember, remember Daniel in the lion's den? He was thrown in the lion's den, and they, they put a stone over it, and, and they sealed it. Remember Jonah? They threw him overboard, and he was swallowed by a big fish. His life was over. And then you get to the New Testament, and you read about people who had leprosy. If you get leprosy... Your life is over. The people who had demon, who were demon-possessed, if you're demon-possessed, your life is over. And what about the two guys who were born blind? Their life's over. Peter's mother-in-law running a fever. She's dying. Her life's over. What about the man who was paralyzed and couldn't get in to see Jesus? His life is over. What about Jairus' daughter? She died. What about the widow woman, the funeral procession going out of town? Her son is dead. What about Lazarus? They're dead. Their life is over. So you read the rest of the story. But that's the story of the Bible. Because then we get to this guy named Jesus. And we read in the Gospels about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, born of a virgin, sent here by God, the Father, sent here as our Savior, and He wasn't received by the people. They didn't know who He was. They didn't understand Him. He was rejected and despised and misunderstood. It doesn't matter what He did. He didn't do anything right in their eyes, and they plotted to kill Him. They plotted to get rid of Him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests and the religious folks say, They banded together because they wanted Jesus gone. They wanted him over. And they sent their temple guard to arrest Jesus. And they said, we want you to go arrest Jesus. Here's where he's going to be. He's going to be in a garden. And and one of his followers, he's going to be there with 11 because one of his disciples, he well, as a matter of fact, Scripture says the betrayer had arranged a signal with him. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away. So when you see Judas come up and kiss the guy, that's the guy. You arrest him and you bring him in. And that's what happened. Judas betrayed him. Judas kissed him. And the disciples fled because when the law shows up, you run. It's over. And they take Jesus in. Scripture says they were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. And they hired, they, they, they paid off some witnesses to say lies about him. And even the witnesses couldn't agree. Their story, their paid off stories didn't even agree. They bound Jesus and they took him to Pilate's house. They arrested him at night. They tried him at night. They sentenced him at night. They illegally took him before the Sanhedrin, the religious council. Everything about it was wrong. Pilate says, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And they pressed Pilate, no, we we want you to do something. So Pilate questions him and he comes out and he says, I find no basis for a charge against him, but... Pilate was afraid of the Jews, and they kept pressing him, and he kept quizzing Jesus, and he came out and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. And then someone in the crowd says, crucify him. And then the chant picks up, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate says, he's yours. I wash my hands of this. 
It was over for Pilate. He was done. And they take Jesus away and they let him carry a portion of his cross to Golgotha. Pilate's already beat him within an inch of his life. Many folks die at that point of this execution. They nail Jesus to the cross. They raise him up. They hoist him in the air. They drop him down in that hole. And just as Jesus said, as the Son of Man must be lifted up, and they lifted him up, we can't even begin to imagine the cruelty of the cross. You've seen some modern movies these days. Maybe you watched Mel Gibson's movie. It's graphic how they tortured people, executed people. We can't imagine. We can't imagine the cross. For all practical purposes, it was over. I mean, the disciples knew it was over. They fled. Oh, they may have watched from a distance, but they knew, wow, the last three years, we wasted our time. It's over. He's gone. And Jesus is destined to be thrown into the garbage dump. That's what they did when they crucified people. They... They let them hang there on the cross for days until they rotted, almost as if to make a statement, you don't mess with Rome. You mess with Rome, here's what happens. And after you're on the cross and after your body's rotting, they would peel you off that cross and they would throw you in a wagon and they would take you to the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem where they threw all their trash and it was constantly burning. It was the Valley of Gehenna. It's translated hell in the New Testament. Jesus was destined for that garbage dump known as hell, Gehenna, until a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate, the guy who sentenced Jesus and said, you you go kill him. He goes to Pilate and says, can I have his body? Pilate didn't even know he was dead. Scripture says Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead. Because usually a guy would hang there for a couple of days and then he would die. Pilate gave permission for the body of Jesus to be given to Joseph of Arimathea and a guy we've read about before named Nicodemus. Scripture says the Passover was coming so they had to prepare the body. They had to get him ready and they had 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe. They wrapped him in spices and strips of linen. If you weren't dead before... There's a hundred pounds of spices and clothing wrapped around you. You're dead now. And in a private tomb that was cut out of a rock, they, they put him in that tomb. And they rolled a big stone in front of it and they sealed it. Because it was over. It was over. Jesus was crucified, Jesus was dead, Jesus was embalmed, Jesus was prepared, Jesus was placed in a tomb and it was sealed and it was over. There was nobody standing outside the tomb doing a countdown. All right, he's coming. Ten, nine, eight. Nobody's doing that. Nobody's standing outside the tomb saying, hey, he said he's coming back because they thought it was over. His own mom, she's not even there because she knew it's over. It's over. He's dead. And three days later, they come back. 
Three days later, the women came to do something else with the body, to prepare the body, and they get there, and that stone is, is rolled away, and they go in, and they didn't, they didn't ask, is he risen? They said, where's the body? Because they didn't expect him to be risen. It was over. He was dead. Where's the body? We brought some more stuff to prepare the body to keep Jesus in his death state. They thought it was over. Everybody thought it was over. Everybody knew it was over. Nobody expected Jesus to come back from that grave. Except us. We know it wasn't over because we know the rest of the story. They didn't know the rest of the story. Had we lived back then, we'd have been thinking it's over. All those teachings that he said, what was that all about? All the things he said about God. I mean, where is he now? He's dead. It's over. And yet today, 2,000 plus years later, we celebrate. Not that day. We celebrate that event. The resurrection event. Easter Sunday. Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate because the good news is that with Jesus... It's never over. With Jesus, it's never over. Since He is risen and because He's risen, it's never over. You see, it's not just a story of the Bible. It's not just a story of sports. It's not just a story of famous people. It's not just a story of people we don't even know. It's not just Bible story. It's your story. Because how many times in your life have you thought, it's over? It's over. Some things happen in your life and you might say, you know, my life's over. Something happens, some event, some occurrence. You struggle through a divorce and you think it's over. You suffer some financial hardship. It'll never be the same. It's over. You've been rejected. You've been fired from a job. You're facing some health issues. Your parents don't understand if you're younger. And then as your parents get older, your parents don't understand. And you're thinking it's over. College looks like a dream. Maybe the dream is a vanishing thought. Everything about your life, we've all had points where we think, is, it, is this it? Is this why I'm living? It's over. Maybe you've made some bad decisions. Maybe you've made some bad choices. Maybe you've been in some bad relationships. Maybe you've had some bad friends. Maybe you're thinking today, you know, I've, I've messed up too much. My chance of heaven, it's over. I've made too many bad decisions. My chance of being with Jesus, it's over. I've blown it too many times and we're thinking it's over. But listen, folks, listen, church, the good news today is with Jesus, it's never over. The bad news is if you don't have Jesus, it's over. You'll stand before God someday and do you know Jesus Christ, my son? Did you ever confess him? Did you ever name him as your Lord and Savior? And if your answer is no, you don't want to know what that over is going to be like. If you thought that garbage dump where they were going to throw Jesus, Gehenna, where things were burning and it was a stench, which is why they picked the word hell because it was so horrible. If you don't have Jesus... I'm not going to hesitate to even tell you 
It's over. But here, we're here today to talk about good news. And the good news is that you're still alive. And the good news is that you can make a decision today. And the good news is on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, because He is risen, you can still give your life to Jesus today. So we're to that point that we call the invitation. It's not about our invitation. It's not about our church. It's all about Jesus and what you're going to do with Him. So just in case you're wondering, hey, those Church of Christ folks, why do they believe what they do about baptism? Let me tie resurrection and baptism together because Paul writes in Romans 6, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Because that's pretty important. We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we're raised up out of the water to walk in newness of life. Yeah, that's why we preach baptism, because we read it in Scripture. And it's all about, Paul goes on, if we've been united with Him like this in His death, we will certainly be united with Him in His resurrection, for we know that our old self was crucified. You know what happens at baptism? We take our old self, we take our old nature, we take all of our sins. It's over. It's over. Jesus says, I want those. That's why I died. Here, Jesus, you can have those. I want to be over with those. But I want to be baptized into your blood. I want to, I want to unite with you in your death. I want to unite with you in your resurrection so that my life is not over and my future is not over. That's why we put so much emphasis on baptism. It's not to be baptized into this church. It's to be baptized and united with Jesus Christ. So that's why we offer that invitation. Folks, today it's Easter Sunday. I can't think of a better day. I mean, I want you here every Sunday. I'd like to be here every day. But Easter Sunday... 2,000-ish years ago, the event that changed everything, He's risen. He's alive. The song we sang before I got up here, Our God's alive. You go check that tomb, it's empty. You go check the tomb of anybody else that's ever died in the world, they're there, rotting and decayed. But the tomb of Jesus, hey, it's not over. It ain't over with Jesus. It's never over if you have Jesus. So if you've never named Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never become a Christ follower, what better day than today, Easter Sunday? Maybe you are a baptized believer, but you've, you've wandered away and you've made a lot of those bad choices and, and you've made some bad decisions and you're thinking today, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I know I, I made a good choice when I was baptized, but I've been making some bad choices. I don't, I don't know, Richie. My, I think my life's over. It's not over. It's never over when you give your life to Jesus. So the invitation today is, will you give your life to Jesus? Will you put your trust in Jesus? Will you obey Jesus? Because when you give your life to Jesus, your life is never over. The future always looks brighter. Eternity looks better. Heaven is waiting for you. Will you trust in Jesus today as we stand and sing? When we walk with the Lord in the light of His work, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good.